in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. What's going on, guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as a No Breakfast Guy, and I've got two very special guests here this week. I will introduce them in a second, but I do have to kind of say, first and foremost, I put out a question on my Instagram story the other day asking, what did you want to know about me growing up? And I don't know if anyone just didn't understand the question, but most of you guys sent through questions of how to break my fast, or is Diet Coke okay, is sugars okay? So I'm just gonna go and answer those questions as they were. You guys quite weren't quite on the right page when I was asking what did you want to know, or maybe you just had no real want to know anything and this podcast is gonna be of no interest to anyone. So anyway, I didn't know what to do for this podcast anyway this week, and so this week I do have my two parents on this show, and so welcome to the show, Angela and Brian Martin, my parents. Hi, Adam. Yeah, hello. So, um, as I was just saying two minutes just before I started this podcast, I had no idea where this is going to go or what this is going to be about, but I just thought we'd have a chat about kind of the history that is my life and kind of us growing up over the last 36 years. And um, I thought we might just start off by introducing yourselves and who you are and kind of who you were and how it brings you to today. So, Dad, take us off. All right, Adam. Yep. Um, Yeah, I'm Adam's dad. My name's Brian. Um, I grew up in a small country town in the Latrobe Valley. Um, both my parents were originally from uh, One Thaggy and we moved to uh, Morwell for my da- uh, when my dad got out of the Navy and uh, took up a job with what was called the State Electricity Commission in those days. Had a great country, um, small country town upbringing. Um, we were allowed to get out and do basically whatever we liked with the, the only comment I ever got, I think, from my mother was that um, look after yourselves, look after each other, and be home before 6 p.m. at night. And we could virtually do anything we like. Um, I went through uh, secondary school at Mall High School. Um, I got caught up in the, um, the issues around the, what's, what, we, what I prefer to call the American War, but we, pref- we call the Vietnam War, and had to leave home. Um, took up um, a job at a company in, in uh, Melbourne that was uh, rather, um, benevolent to conscientious objectors and then went back to university part-time. I met my lovely uh, wife, Angela, in um, 1979. She's reminding me. In 1979 and after a pretty um, short romantic uh, um, escapade, we got married. And no pregnancy. And no no pregnancy and got married. so yeah, that's, uh, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry my entire life after graduating as an industrial chemist. I went on and did post-grad business admin after that and had a, a, very, a very great and satisfying career in the pharmaceutical industry. Retired about five or six years ago and have now just fully retired um, into permanent retirement after doing about four years of consulting work. So that's me. Thank Over you. to you, darling. Me. My name's Angela. And um, my parents are English, or were born in Hastings, and in the early 50s they came out to Australia. 
and I was born in Cobram. Um, but only stayed there for about four years while my parents worked on a farm and then um, picked peaches. And then we moved to Albury for a, a very short time, only a few months. And then actually then moved to Wangaratta, which is where I grew up and wonderful place to grow up. Um, similar to Brian that my mum would say in the morning, get up, get out, come home when it's dark. And we would uh, all accumulate in one house and stay there for the day. We might get on our bikes and ride around. It was a really good time to be to, to grow up. It was fabulous. No worries about um, locking your doors and worrying about who might be lurking and watching and, and all that. It was really great. Um, at 18, I left to go to university uh, where I went to Bendigo. I did want to be a teacher, but unfortunately didn't quite get enough uh, points. So I did Diploma of Arts, thinking I might do vocational guidance or something like that, but ended up moving to Melbourne after I finished my course, joined Telstra or Telecom as it was then, and was with that company for 31 years, moving to different, different departments within the company. Uh, got retrenched, the job went to the Philippines, and so I looked around for a job, I was in my 50s, Decided to stay in customer service because that's all I knew. I used to work on the phones, call centres, selling commanders, which was uh, switchboards. Uh, worked in uh, quality assurance. And so I then joined a local council, still once again in customer service, answering phones, uh, front counter, taking lots of abuse. And um, in the end thought, no, nah, this is not for me anymore. So after 40 years of working in customer service, decided to stop working. And uh, then we moved to Phillip Island to retire, which was the best thing we ever did. Absolutely love, love it down here at Phillip Island. And um, Adam and his family come and visit us normally for a weekend. So it's great. We get to really bond with Amelia, our granddaughter. And um, it's the best thing we ever did moving, moving down here. So after 40 years, nearly 40 years of marriage, we're still together <laughs> and uh, having a fabulous time doing, because we love to travel. So we've done a lot of overseas travel. Uh, we've been, luckily we've been able to travel to um, Italy, France, China, Vietnam. Morocco. Morocco, Portugal, Egypt, Egypt. Egypt. <coughs> Spain. Um, you got Japan, Japan soon. Japan Come is in. for our anniversary. We're going to Japan, uh, Norfolk Island, Cook Islands, New Zealand, Tasmania. <laughs> I classify those overseas. Well, you go overseas almost every day, don't you? Well, yes, yes. Once, once we hit that San Remo Bridge, we're we're home. And uh, one of these days, we're going to. Um, we blow up the bridge so that no one else can come, especially all those <laughs> tourists. little tourists that seem to always bug our lovely little little town here in Cowes. Although I, I do volunteer at a op shop and when the tourists come, they come with their money. So it's good good for them to come, I suppose, to, to, to leave their money, but then to, to leave us alone again. Um, apart from that, that's, that's a, 
life. That's us in a nutshell. Uh, yeah, our life pretty 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 boring. Apart, apart from the two children. Apart from the two children, which yeah, with uh... I'll get onto those little uh, those little things soon enough. But something that's always <clears throat> been in the back of my head, and something that's always questioned me, because you guys seem so happy down here in a country town. You both grew up in a country town. Your family all live still in country towns. Why did we ever move to the smoke, big smoke? And I would consider myself a city boy and I could never see myself living in a country. Although once I did leave for France and they, they were very small towns, I, I can see the allure to it. Why never went back and why didn't, like you had such amazing upbringings and you have that, you know, no worries about locking your door, you know your community, you know your next door neighbors. Why not move us back to the, the country when we were growing up? Yeah. Well, from my point of view, I guess I, I was lucky enough to have parents that were very um, uh, open and open to a whole lot of change. They they probably weren't the typical you know sort of um, post World War Two um, parents with you know new baby boomer kids like myself and my sisters, and were able to um, they weren't wealthy or anything, but able to provide us with the opportunities. And I quickly realised that growing up in a small country town, although when you're young your you know, sort of teenage years or sub-teenage years, it's a fantastic lifestyle. Um, and I think it still is in a con- most country towns these days. They, they don't seem to have the issues of the, the stress and the other sort of uh, problems a lot of city dwellers have, which is unfortunate. But I think I realised that if, um, you know, if I wasn't going to get stuck in a small country town in, in where I grew up, the only opportunity was really to become an apprentice and joined the State Electricity Commission because it employed probably 80% of the people um, around the area. So you become like an electrician or a fitter and turner or something. Or if you did have um, you know, a good um, you know, or matriculation score or whatever and that sort of thing, you join the Commonwealth Bank um, as the only professional opportunity. So um, yeah, as I said, I, you know, the, the overriding thing in the late 60s, 1960s for me was the I guess the um, you know the issue with uh, conscription and things like that, which maybe focused me a bit more. But I realised that Melbourne, the city, um, was you know the only the only way I could get a get a, get ahead and get a decent career. I think the opportunities for for myself, and then with you being already in Melbourne, we weren't going to go back because of the jobs that we had. So we knew that the opportunities for our children, we hoped. We didn't want them to have to move away. At least staying in Melbourne, they could have a good education. Um, we could provide for them without any issues. And then if they wanted to go on university, they didn't have to go away from us. They could stay with us. We could. They could live with us, save some money while they were going to university. So on, did I choose. take full advantage of that? <laughs> yeah, so we heard at your wedding, your best man told us a few stories about uh, the way you were... An entrepreneur uh, on on with um with my with, um with company car. car. Yes, yeah. I'll leave that for Adam to explain later. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm my audience knows how very open I am, and I'm I'm more than happy to kind of uh, go on those. And I think it it does show kind of from a very early age. And I'll be interested to kind of hear from you guys, like what what you thought I would become, kind of growing up. Like, did you have a sense of oh, he's going to be a doctor, he's going to be a teacher, he's going to be a whatever it might be, but I'll, I'll kind of get your two cents on that. But to kind of just go to that story is that 
dad always had a company car um, from as far back as I can remember. And I always remember a, a new car. It was every three years or something. Three, three um, and back those days, the good old days of company cars, um, is that you had to do a certain amount of kilometres or something, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. And you could write off a bucket load of kind of taxes or whatever it kind of worked if you kind of said you were going to do a, a yep, that's right. huge yeah. amount of kilometres. But dad worked very close to home. It was only 10 kilometres down the road or something. And so when I went off to university, um, which was over an hour drive from where we were, and mum and dad always said, as long as you're at home, there's no board to pay. And I kind of took full advantage of that as long as I can. And probably what led me going into a master's degree. At the time, I probably didn't know what I wanted to do with my life anyway after my university undergraduate. But I thought, eh, another two years at home, that gives me free board. I can keep <laughs> keep working and yeah. uh, saving money. So I thought, yeah, go and do the master's. But that first degree, um, dad at the time had a very nice, he had upgraded himself from Commodores and Volvos and things like that to his first real nice car. And it was a Lexus at that time. And... Um, Obviously, I wanted to be the kind of hot shot on campus turning up into this beautiful car, but no petrol, no cost, um, and I had a couple of mates that I had to pick up on the way, and um, I said to them, like, you know, I'm going to need some um, some petrol money here. You know, this is Dad's car, but, you know, he still has to pay petrol, so, like, you know, if you boys give me $20 in the pocket uh, every single week, I'll pick you up, and that'll pay for petrol. And of course, I was putting that to the side and not telling mum or dad that yeah, I was collecting, it. collecting uh, petrol on that car. But um, but yes, I mean, leading into kind of like growing up and whatnot, we obviously lived, well, I remember growing up in Elwood um, until we were about four or five. Um, but then you moved us out to Juan Turner. Was that a sense of kind of getting out of the the big smoke and moving out a bit and kind of getting it like the mix of both worlds like kind of you get a bit of the kind of country living which one turner kind of was or no what was the reason behind that yeah it was schooling but i i I just back it up a little bit and say i i yeah i I love living in the country um my idea of country these days is it's got to have a water view as well so it's not like rural land but don't get me wrong i mean um i still enjoy the city there's a lot of thing, lot of elements of a city I enjoy, particularly um, concerts, live music, restaurants, nice. you're getting together with you know a lot of our friends and that that still live in and around the city. Although they're getting more and more scattered, as most of them, like us, find a little little bit more peace and solitude moving out of the city. But it's always nice to come back into the city. But yeah, I think the main reason we bought our first house a couple of years after we were married was a, a rundown little cottage in Elwood, which I was still studying part-time at that time, but we got to, you know, to work on it and re- or restored some of it and renovated some of it um, into a nice family house. Um, and then Adam came along, but it got to the point where some other really good friends of ours that I'd re- reconnected with after um, several years of sort of going our own separate ways, um, and they bought a block of land out in Montana South and were building there. So we so went out. Yeah, Drew and yeah. So we went and had a look at that and thought, huh, maybe this is this is not a bad place to live. And in the, in those days, St Kilda and Ed, Elwood, this is back in the uh, 19, late 90s and eight, 1980s, still had a bit of a reputation uh, for you know, drugs right. and prostitution and police cars going every down every street all the time. And we just figured that maybe that, the school, the Oldwood Primary School, and then there was Oldwood Secondary School, weren't maybe the best schools 
for our kids to have the best opportunity, um, I guess, at the end of the day. We could have been proven to be wrong, but at, at that time it was a decision we made and um, I don't think it was the wrong decision, but, you know, really can't say that. Um, I'm sure, you know, there's good teachers and bad teachers at any schools, but, you know, I, I think to move out into the, into the suburbs a little bit, build a brand new house that was going to be our house while... Um, Adam and his sister grew up and went to school and then moved away. Um, you know, we looked at it as a 20, 25 year plan anyway. And um, that's how it worked out for us. It turned to be almost spot on 25 years, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. But that was, you know, we, even from when we were first married, we were, you know, we had five and 10 year plans. So that wasn't outside the realm of how we managed um, our sort of, you know, I guess, psyche in terms of thinking that we needed to plan for something. and. It wasn't going to be, you know, instant gratification type stuff. We'd save up and buy whatever we needed. We would never buy stuff we couldn't afford at the time or if we went out and bought something that was, you know, expensive or an upgrade to the house, we did have a, um, you know, an extension done to the Wanturna South house. So, but we never, we never borrowed money that we didn't really either have either in the back in the bank anyway or that we felt that we could, you know, service the loan while we were bringing up two kids. So... And let's talk about those uh, those two kids then. Um, kind of as I said, alluded to it before. Like, I mean, I know this from. I mean, maybe I'm kind of just preempting the the answer. But what I certainly never got a sense of from growing up was a push that you must do something that is kind of what you guys kind of want for me. You're like, as long as you were happy and you were doing what you want. Like, but did you ever have a kind of like idea of? where I would go or what I would become kind of growing up seeing me develop as I did and the friends I hung out with and the sports I did and the extra extracurricular things did you ever kind of have a sense kind of what might become of my future or where I would the be only thing I, I would say well two things one was um what your friends and your teachers used to always say that you were the um the class clown that you were, and you were always cute, and the class you made everybody laugh. Even the teachers, when they were angry with you, you would make them laugh so that they would forget it or just go, "Oh, Adam, now don't do that again." So I thought you're either going to go to the circus and and work work in the circus or be a comedian on the stage, something like that. Uh, or the other thing was because you was just so into sport, like. It, for, for a little for a little kid because you weren't tall you know you were only you know about <laughs> I, five I, eight well back then you were tiny you were weeny and from three when you did Jimbaroo <laughs> and you had to do you, you loved the tumbling you loved doing all those things so when we, then we had to go to Calis, um, gymnastics which you loved the summer but you wouldn't work on the bars so I think we did one lot of gymnastics and it was no mum no, don't want to do this okay what next t-ball We'll do T-ball. And you did your hand um, ball coordination was really, really good. So we did T-ball for years and years and years. So then we thought, okay, you want to be a professional baseball player. And you were going to go over to America. You were going to make a million dollars. Because you always said by 30, you know, a million dollars, you're going to retire. You were saying that for, for years. And your father and I would look at each other and go, yeah, right, okay. So after you were going to go to America. And then, no, I'm not going to do baseball. So now we went to, oh, I used to love um, your skateboarding. Yeah, loved your skateboard. We had to go over to the shops in Glenwave. We'd buy these special wheels on these skateboards. 
each time the new ones would come in, over we'd go, and you'd have your money saved up, you'd buy the special wheels. I don't know if you had skates or inline, I can't remember. I remember yeah. the boards you had, and of course you made your luge. Street luge, yeah. Street luge, yeah, luge that you class. went up and down, <laughs> and then you were going to go to the Olympics and do the skeleton and be, be, you know, be world famous doing your skeleton rides down, down the whatever they use, the tracks or whatever. We did have um, um, basketball, so we used to do basketball. Even though you were little, you would in and out, in and out. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to be a basketball player and we're going to make a million dollars. And then, no, I'm finished with that. So then, yes, then tennis came along. And, yeah, you were very good at that. And it was, now I'm going to go on the circuit, I'm going to make a million dollars, and I'm going to be able to retire. And, and I thought, okay, fine. Then that stopped, and then we had swimming, because you were very good at swimming as well, especially at school, you were competing, I think you were year eight, and you were competing against year 12 kids, yep. and you were getting <laughs> second or third against them. Never done any training, just hopped in the water and away you went, so maybe we'll be in the Olympics, and we'll get all the promotions and all the money from um, all the endorsements, and that never happened, so then I, then I was starting to worry because you were getting a bit older and you still couldn't work out what sport you wanted to do. So then I thought maybe you can get in to be a sports teacher is what my idea was. But the thought of being a teacher I could see was no way <laughs> were work. you going to ever be a teacher. So I thought, well, then it's going to have to be something to do with sports, which... Well, I think it was I think it was you actually who was probably the first introduction into kind of gym when you introduced me to I can't even remember his name I don't know if you can the the guy that was the owner's um, gym out the back of that swimming pool that you used to go to down in Brandon Park. Oh yeah, was oh. it Gary or Tony or something like that? But, can't remember. And I did a placement there, like it, it would have been year eleven or oh, year... over at the um, Victoria. No, 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 no. no. It was the um, gym. That was out the back of the swimming pool swim, on swim lane, oh. swim lane, swim, yeah, yeah, swim lane. And, and you used to go to the gym yes, there, yeah. And I'm going to say I was year eleven or year twelve. <laughs> I don't even think I was in university at that point. Um, and then it was Dad who then very late year twelve you introduced me to um, the guy who ran your EFM gym, yeah. And he was the one that then got a job yeah. over in the states. I don't know if it was right, yeah. with a movie star or something over there, but he was saying. Yeah, you could run gyms and so I'd had two kind of introductions into running a gym or being in fitness and you know every aspiration I thought I was I was always going to become a professional like sportsman in some way that absolutely was in my head it was it was swimming it was baseball it was something and then I, I gave tennis a good crack but yeah. that uh, didn't come to fruition but when I then thought well maybe I can train an Olympian and I can then be part of it and I can very openly say when I was young, it was all about fame. Like <clears throat> I could care, I could care less about like what I was doing, how I was helping people. It was like I want to be famous and I want money, and if I can find a job that does that, just bonus kind of thing. And so, but it was certainly that one that then introduced me to RMIT, and then he then gave me some inside tips of who the okay, kind yeah. of um, main lecturers were at that. And so, I didn't do quite so well as. And I can still remember the disappointing looks on your guy. And as I said, you guys weren't the kind of, you must do this. You put a lot of time and effort into my U12 year to kind of keep me on the straight and narrow because I was the, the goofball kind of always going mm. off. And when that score came through on mine, I'm like, shit, just scraped through there, didn't I? Oh. You did um, as little as possible. Yeah. <laughs> as little as possible. Yeah. But um, 
I was I was lucky enough to have that introduction to him, and he mm. said, "Look, go out to the uni before next year even comes about. Introduce yourself to the lecturers, get in front of their face. So when the interview comes for next year, because the university degree I ended up going to, you had to have like a a pre-screening or an assessment yeah. kind of thing for it. You had to get the enter score plus um, what it was after that. But day one, I turn up to actually meet the two blokes that I ended up travelling into school with every day as part of my kind of assessment group." And I walk in and I'm giving handshakes to the lecturers like, oh, Asho, how are you? Oh, Bernie, how are you going? And they're like, who's this kid kind of thing? And I, I don't know if, as I said, once it comes back down to my DNA again, in that I've always, I found, again, you can guys can uh, say, but I've always thought I'd need to find, because I'm not the best looking guy. I understand I'm not the smartest bloke. I'm not the guy that's just going to get through by just luck. But I knew that if I worked my way into places, whether that's using a cunning way of doing it or kind of using my contacts or using you know my smarts to kind of do it, I could find my way into places that I needed to be to kind of get myself ahead. And so I'd seen those kind of opportunities when I could get some money off some mates to get myself ahead or kind of... And so that's just kind of where I then, I guess, got into uni and where we kind of see myself going yeah, through. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think um, it goes back a little bit further than that that um, you know that the upbringing that both um, Angela and I had mum and I had with parents that were um, you know open to letting us you know find our own way in the world without having you know sort of any preconceived ideas placed upon us never once did my mum and dad ever say to me you know you you should be you should go to university or you should stay here in the valley or whatever it was always my my choice. So I think that, from my point of view, come through to the way we, you know, we treated you and Sarah as well, your sister, in as much that, you know, you, you would find your niche in life, um, no matter what it was, you, you did have a, a good level of, um, what's it, um, street smarts is probably the, the best way of putting it. And that, you know, I, I always tell people that, you know, Adam, Adam's the sort of bloke that could sell, you know, snow to the Eskimos sort of thing and you can always rely on that sort of um, street smarts and the cunnings to, to get you through it's, gift of the gab yeah the gift of the gab type of thing uh, yeah you're, you're a smart bloke as well but that that I think is the underlying part of it is that um, you know you, you you use the networking opportunities to your advantage which is you know really what it's networking is all about um, sort of thing and um, you yeah, know sort of and, and they'd add to it from that that perspective so yeah, you know, I never, I never felt that we would pressurise you into anything or pressure you into anything in particular. I never had any preconceived ideas that you know, an engineer, a doctor, even though I did science. Um, you know, the, the fact that you ended up doing science wasn't, you know, anything, you know, from me particularly. I don't. Think I reckon chemistry was a bit of uh, your pressure. Uh, I reckon but, I went down the chemistry route because of uh, you. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think it was too. Too much pressure. Um, at the end of the day, I got uh, to light Bunsen burners up the back of the <laughs> classroom. So yeah, maybe that, maybe that's all it was as well. But yeah, that, there might have been a little bit of that in terms of at least you know the sciences give you um, a rational way of thinking um, that I think uh, you know a lot of people lack these days um, as well. That you know, can can help um, you know, can build a career in any direction if you do other things. The less maybe um, rationally based, you, you head down a particular path and you can't get away from that. But having a, um, you know, not a scientific background, but a, um, a science-based 
um, you know, understanding of how a lot of things go, that can then uh, allow, open up a lot of extra doors for you that probably wouldn't be open if you were down a particular course, like, I don't know, um, psychology or, yeah, I'm just picking out hey, something like that. what's wrong with psychology? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> These days is that, you know, it, it narrows the field of opportunity considerably, which you, you didn't have. Maybe there was a little bit of pressure there, but you now we realise that you were, you were, you were a reasonable sports person, no matter what you tried or what you had a go at, um, all different types of sports. It certainly didn't come from, um, from me, or, or Angela's no. shaking heads either. Netball, I don't think um, you want to play netball. No, as well. So, um, yeah, so yeah, we'd realised that that was something you enjoyed doing. So if you could join that to something as a career, then that's, I guess, why we never, you know, gave, or gave you every opportunity to, um, to make a go of any of the particular sports. I think you sell yourself short a little bit in that a very big kind of, I guess, role model that you were is when you joined triathlons. And so, you know, I, I can remember from, you know, one of my youngest memories of you kind of like not seeing you a lot <laughs> kind of on weekends because you're out training all the time. And, you know, what, when did you take up triathlons as your... I, I was well into my 40s. Yeah. So you were 15, 14, 15 yeah. years of age. And I, I did that because of a, you know, a back injury um, or a re- recurring back injury um, that I had... Um, from you know something from back in 1975 so and it was just a I was getting to the point where I couldn't hardly walk sometimes and a chiropractor I was, I was seeing suggested I get you know do a bit of swimming which I'd done a little bit of swimming nothing nothing much at all but I enjoyed swimming I got back in the pool and that helped and then he said have you ever run and I said you know look at my physique I can't I couldn't run to save my life he said well just get out and walk and trot and if you can run and that sort of thing and not long after that, he suggested there's a new sport around called triathlon. So I joined a club and had a go at um, that, and and found that or, or I had a I had the a good endurance ability. I couldn't you know sprint to save my life, but I have a, I still have a reasonably good endurance um, ability sort of thing. So and yes, I mean I I guess um, a lot of the uh, career direction, if there was any of that to be done, particularly in the early years, was probably. Uh, most of it was placed on mum's shoulders because you know I was building my career and I was traveling I'd started traveling in 1986 when I joined a small American company and until the day I resigned in 2011 I really never stopped traveling apart from a few stints where I had a you know a particular role to play in the company that didn't require traveling but even up until the day I I retired my last trip was you know, a, um, a 24-hour trip to the United States for a two-hour meeting um, to sign off on a few things. So, And that's what I'd done a lot of my my life as part of my career. So um, a lot of the, you know, the, the pushing and shoving, if necessary, was um, on mum's shoulders, not on mine. And triathlons, you know, it took a lot of time. Um, Especially the Ironman triathlons that you were involved in. As well, towards the end of it, when I, um, you know, after about 10 or 15, 10, 12 years, uh, gave it away, but had, having got to the Ironman, uh, stage and competed in two, um, one Australian and one international Ironman event. Did take a lot of, a lot of training, particularly in the pool and on the bike, um, as well. So, but that did give Sarah, yeah. my sister, and I an ice cream every single Saturday That's morning right. because yeah. we would go swimming with you at Monash <laughs> Swimming Pool, and you said if you do ten laps. <laughs> 
there's a, an ice cream cone from McDonald's, McDonald's after it. Cone. So that's certainly got us in the swimming pool every single Saturday. And I absolutely use that bribery with my daughter these days. And I remember how just, um, what's the word I'm looking, how like gung-ho I was about completing a task when there was something yep. on the line that was something I wanted. So it's uh, I'm, I'm all for it's giving all kids a, bribery. And so you can it. have this if you do this. So. It's all about effort and reward. Yeah, absolutely. 20 cents, is that what you just spent? Yeah. 30 cent cones. 30 cent cones, oh, yeah. Oh, gee, you never... I got the 20 cent one. <laughs> but um, kind of going into that, what you were just saying, that was that um, 24-hour trip, was that the one just before we were heading off to Everest? Because you just didn't you fly overseas and come back and literally two days later we jumped on the plane to. Uh, yes, that probably. Yeah, that was probably about then. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to get into that kind of trip because it's certainly one of the most defining parts of my life in kind of because of kind of what it kind of culminated. Because as many people have heard me talk about my absolute hatred and fear for flying, but we've. <laughs> You and I have spoken about that many a times and kind of going to base camp and doing that, but the only way to get in there is to fly on a rickety little plane into the side of a mountain. And when you can't get me on a jet plane, let alone uh, a little... Bad, we, <laughs> a um, it, kind of doing that was going to be always quite difficult, but you kind of did some research and found a, a trekking company that could walk yeah. you all the way in, yeah. and I'd only have to worry about one flight, and that was a flight out. And I kind of, in my head, rationaled... Out is better than in, so all right, let, yep. flying out is okay. And so, um, I'm, I'm just, is it 2015? 2013. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. 2013, yeah, April, May 2013. Yeah, I, this originally come about, you um, you weren't originally in, in the original group to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I you know, grew up in the I grew up in the valley and I did a little bit of scouting. I was never a rover, but I um, had friends that were had gone on to do rovers and I've kept in contact with quite a few of them. And every time we seemed to meet, and the older we got and the more alcohol we drank, the more bravado we had, of course. And somebody raised the idea of, you know, why don't we go to, why don't we go to base camp? Ah, oh, no, we're all too old. Oh, yeah, no, wait a minute, have another beer. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a bad idea. So it took us a couple of years to, um, to, uh, to figure it out and to organise something. And then one of the guys found a trekking company that, um, rather than yeah, fly into Lukla and then do what most of the Americans and the Japanese do and just pop um, diazomox, the um, um, altitude sickness medication and trek you know, for eight days up to base camp and get out of there as quickly as possible. This company uh, could trek us from basically a day out of Kathmandu at a place Jiri, called Jiri. Jiri. Yeah. And then we spent five, you'd spend five weeks um, trekking um, through Nepal and then gradually you know getting higher and higher and climatizing and spend a few days at various places to you know sort of uh, to, to get better and that sort of thing so and one of the one of the right at the very last minute almost one of the uh, one of the guys as it turns out couldn't come because he had a uh, clot in his lung <laughs> which Adam which may we'll go talk maybe talk that, about yes. that uh, to, later on but um, then it was like oh I wonder if Adam would like to go sort of thing. So it was just in, raised in, you know, passing one day and it was like, when do we leave sort of thing. So, um, yeah, Adam Adam joined the old Yalorn Rovers plus friends group. What do you reckon the average age was? Oh, gee, I think apart from Adam, I was the youngest at um, 60-something or thereabouts. <laughs> couple, a couple of others. Uh, no, actually all of them. I think we were the two youngest. Hmm. Everybody else, Steve and Jeff, Ron, 
bless his soul, he passed, he's already passed away. And um, Graham, we're all young, all yeah. older than us, roughly, roughly the age of my age group. But you were, you know, twenty <laughs> plus years younger than than everybody else. But um, yeah, so and the rest. Thirty and, plus. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. well, you're only thirty-eight now, so you weren't eighteen when you left. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've shared this with you, and I've certainly spoken about it. But um, and I've said it on kind of other posts and things like that. But that trip, as I said, was something pretty special to me because I got to share that experience with you. And yeah. growing up, like because you were such a busy professional and you were out and about, we obviously had all the very important times together, but certainly didn't see as much of as I believe I see my daughter now that uh, I certainly did with you and I saw, I saw that as a kind of like I've got to do this with dad because I think mean, this will be a great bonding thing for us we've got to kind of spend some real time together and kind of do this together and great we'll be able to stand on you know base camp and say yeah, we did this and away we went and you know I hope I don't get too emotional on this part here but kind of two or three days leading into the time where you were pulled off the mountain while we kind of just alluded to it before and we'll talk about it in a second you know, you were you were struggling at that point and everyone just thought it was altitude sickness and, you know, it was starting to get pretty tough for you. And the day that we were then heading to the last stop before base camp, there was an ice shelf that we had to climb and everyone said, this is the toughest day. Like, you get over this day, getting to base camp is actually quite easy. It's just the altitude that will get colder and colder. But, you know, at that point, we're already 4,500 metres yeah. up anyway. Like, we only had a little bit to... But it was just a sheer ice shelf... It was zigzag, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And they said, we're going to walk through and then it'll take two or three hours to get up this ice shelf. Lunch is at the top and then it's three hours after that and you'll get into the cabin. And at that point, it was getting, we were almost kind of deciding, I don't even know if you can go on beyond this day, but you're like, no, nah, you son, you, you wanted to be here. You want to, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. Let's just keep going. Typical kind of uh, response that you would normally give. And so, all right, off we went and... I know one of the Sherpas st- stayed with you and kind of went and I just took off and being the young buck that I was, I was up the top and kind of waiting and waiting and <laughs> my group isn't here. And I'll start walking back down kind of thing and the, one of the Sherpas came up with, I think it was Jeff or something like that and like, have you seen uh, everyone else? And like, nah, they're spread out for at least an hour kind of behind us, you know, the, these people here and these people, yeah, kind of. Well, I'm just going to go down and find Dad. I'll just see where everyone's at. I'm feeling good, so I'll kind of do a bit of extra climbing. So, and I got down there, and then there you were, along with like, still one of the Sherpas kind of thing. I'm like, you were right? Because <laughs> you weren't saying much. Like, you didn't, you didn't, <laughs> didn't look great, and you were kind of just moving quite slow. And like, we kind of need to be up there in the next hour or so, or else we're not going to get there to you know, by the, the other side. But to your credit, you're like, I'm going to make it. Shut up. Just let me do my thing and wait. And, as I said, it was one of the proudest moments I've ever ever seen, kind of watching you. nothing proud about it. No, it absolutely was. <laughs> like, you were down and out, you were doing it tough, and you said, fuck it, I'm doing this anyway, and I'm, I'm going to get there. And it was it was a really special moment to see you then get to the top of that part. And in any race I've now done, in anything I get tough with or whatever, I do look back to that mm-hmm. moment and go, whether you're down and out, no matter how tough it's getting, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep going and that's what you did and you to your credit got to that end of that day and basically killed over and died when you got to the um that but that stopped that night and what we're alluding to before is that um you then had to be pulled off the mountain at that point because you just couldn't go any further i basically heard you drown that night in your own blood (laughs) um coming up out of your out of your lungs and as i said we were pulled off the mountain and um you know we were 
but a few hours from base camp but i sit there and go well i think we made it <laughs> they said you get through this day that's the toughest the rest is easy so um, whether i ever get, end up going back or not it was certainly a pretty special time in uh, my life and uh, mm-hmm. i thank you for i mean whoever had to give up but thank you for then calling me and saying come along for the trip because it was certainly a trip that i'll never forget and yeah, i knew i was in a little bit of trouble when the uh, the the uh, one of the guys who sadly has passed away not because of uh, Everest, unfortunately, by um, a chap by the name of Ron Collis. He was always two or three hours behind us every day. He was the most unfit person. The only thing that kept him alive was the, um, what it was about, a, um, half a bottle of, a third of a bottle of um, Nepalese, whiskey. Nepalese whiskey every night. Every night he would have, have that and, and um, uh, fried eggs or something like that to eat. And he, was, uh, he must have weighed probably... I don't know, 80, 98, kilos, something like that. Unfittest guy. He he struggled every day. He bitched and moaned about it. And I knew I was in trouble because he was ahead of me on that last day. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him getting ahead of me, further and further ahead of me. Yeah. But yeah, we might go back one day. <laughs> no. Hey. I think you've got a you've got a wife next to you sitting there going, no, it's not going. <laughs> if she wants to, hey. You've got to do what you've got to do. Yeah, that's right. Makes um, him happy. The, the only other kind of point I really want to touch on that kind of, as I said, was, a again, a defining moment in my life, and I want to kind of get your point of view from it, was um, when I came to you guys about the France trip. And, again, my mentality kind of in life, because it was kind of the example that I've been given to by you guys, is you get a wife, you have a house, you have your kids, you, you know, you live out your life, you do your 40 years of service, and then you retire, and away you go. And I'll say I was quite... I'm not going to say scared, but I was a bit kind of a bit of trepidation kind of coming to you guys. Out. So I know I've just had a kid and um, I've got this business and I've just spent all my savings on producing this book, but I'm going to give it all away and just disappear for a year. And what do you guys reckon kind of thing? And then like, to my surprise, you both were just like, it'd be the best thing you ever do. Go and do it, go and live your life, go and enjoy. And so like when I, when Ames and I went and kind of did that trip, was there, a sense of what the fuck is he doing oh my god or is there a bit of oh this will be interesting to see what he's doing or is it just another Adam move he's just got to do this and we'll let it kind of I think there was a there was a little bit of trepidation there but but ultimately you know understanding that it was yours and Amy's call um, sort of thing and you know we've we've we haven't done anything quite like that but over the years we've made some decisions that have you know you, you look back and think yeah Okay, a bit of, you know, a slight change here or there. It may have made a bit of a difference or something like that. Um, but it, you've got to do what you've got to do at the time. And, yeah, we weren't going to stand in your ways. I mean, it's no use saying, no, you can't go, at him. <laughs> You're not living at home anymore. You're a grown um, man with a family. And that sort of thing. So, uh, but we're very conservative. Like, our parents were very conservative and we were very conservative. And yeah. money in the bank, um, in case something happens, you've got the money to fall back on. And I suppose a little bit was, oh my God, if he spends all his money, what's going to happen? Are they going to move back with us? <laughs> oh no. That was the biggest thing. Let's find that we are, yeah. They're going to come back. But, you know, if, if that's what you wanted to do, it's your, yeah, ultimately it's it's your life. We can't uh, you know, we would, make we, you we would do never. it. We would never tell you don't no. do it. We, <laughs> might, we might, through gritted teeth, say, great, you, if that's what you want to do, but... We might be looking at each other going, oh no, what the hell? <laughs> uh, I, I think you've been a bit hard 
on your, in yourself, <laughs> darling. I don't think we ever did that. You know, sort of thing. We might think every now and then, think, oh, you know, that's, you know, what did they get out of it? What was it worth? You know, maybe Amelia was too young. Probably she, she Amelia too young, yeah. She, yeah, I think that was, she we focused more on her. She hasn't, can't have remembered any of it. She would never remember any of it, um, unfortunately, but she was just too young. She's probably I'll, still I'll, too young now. But what I'll, what I'll say on that, though, is I absolutely believe it shaped the personality that she is. She'll, she'll like, yeah, you won't be able to ask her in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, how about that time we had in France? But I absolutely, to my core, believe that that year we spent together every single day has been a benefit to her that I don't think you can get by kind of just doing the ordinary life kind of thing and seeing them, you know, obviously we're growing up as we are now kind of thing. But um, yeah, I, I do believe... I said this is just me because it's obviously my point of view and I've got a kind of rationale in my head that it was a good thing that we did but um, I I believe we have a a far better family unit because of it and um, the reason I say that though is that I'd seen my life play out very and reason why I had to do something as big as that because I don't think it could have just been I'm going to take an extended holiday like I'm just going to take eight weeks this year and just go away I needed that big change because I'd just written a book business was going very well and I was doing 15 hours a day, six days a week and not seeing, like I was coming home within an hour of Amelia going to bed and then say, night darling. And that was my only kind of, you know, time with her. And I was like, something needs to change or else I'm going to blink and she's going to be 16. I'm going to be giving a speech at her 16th birthday kind of thing. And I'm like, where did that time go? And who, like, she's not going to know who I am. And I'm like, you know, I, I just needed to have that kind of change. And I think, it's now changed me because I have a much different look on life where work is not my priority anymore. Family is, and obviously you've got to do money, you've got to pay the bills and things like that. And as long as I do the minimum that allows that to happen, allows to put food on the table, a roof over their head and smiles on their faces, then everything else is just, what can I do for the family to kind of be there? I think, I I don't disagree with that. And I guess a lot of people would probably um, be envious of you being able to do that. at the end of the day, I think uh, you're you're extremely extremely lucky to to have been able to do what you've done and come out of it with that sort of sense, or sense and sensibility um, as well. So, if, if it it's going to be hard, I think, for you to carry it on though in the next ten plus years now with another child on the way and Amelia will be heading to school or. These sorts of things soon. I think again, friends of ours with their, you know, two granddaughters. You know, um, they they're seeing that change already. That that bonding that they were so desperate to have with their grandchildren to start with, which worked out fantastic for them, is now starting to come unstuck a bit because the the girls have got their own lives now. They're Okay, they've got their own personalities. I'm not 100% sure I'd agree with it. Amelia's personality's been structured already by, you know, being pushed around in a pusher in France for, you know, half a year or whatever it was sort of thing. Whether it's, you can never know anyway because no, you can't absolutely. go backwards. But, um, <laughs> you know, she's going to want to go head off and, you know, form her own group of friends and things like that. And it may be harder in years to come to, to live up to those expectations or those, yeah... Uh, aspirations you've got now of being what you say as a, you know, a better father, a better person, you know, just being able to put as long as you can put food on the table and your kids through school and whatever you, you're going to be happy. If you can do that, good luck to you. Um, I think it's a luxury in this 
you know, godforsaken world that we're now living in. That's a, <laughs> that's a discussion with you and I for another <laughs> podcast. But um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm always been a glass half full person, but the older I get, and it's not because I'm getting grumpier, I don't think. Um, mm. I'm just getting, I'm just getting, <laughs> I'm getting more. I think it's in hindsight and the, and the knowledge I have, particularly the science-based knowledge, I'm becoming somewhat pessimistic about what I call the numbnuts that run our country and they're running it into the ground, but there are other numbnuts around the world that are running the world into the ground. And I'm, you know, I'm fine. Well, Angela and I are going to live out a great life. You and Amy are fine. You're, you're halfway through your lives, roughly. Um, you're going to have a great life. I'm not so sure about our grandchildren or if we live old enough, our great-grandchildren are going to have that uh, luxury that we've had. I mean, I, I think just as an aside, and it maybe is, has spun off into um, you and um, your sister Sarah, that as, as baby boomers, um, we come out of, you know, we were born after a terrible period of history um, from 1915 right through to 1945. It really didn't stop apart from a few years in between the, the two world wars. But it's not it was just that, it was you know, um, you know, the, the Spanish flu and things like that that ravaged the world as well. And the baby boomers come out into a prosperous time and we grew up in what I think was probably the best couple of decades that the world has ever known, you know, the 70s and the 80s. And it's starting the shine starting to come off that um now um which you know upsets me a little bit um in terms of what i can do about it or, or whatever i you know not that old or i can't you know sort of complain about things or tilt at windmills or whatever but it does it does concern me that um if you you're able to live your life the way you see it panning out now into the future well i'm all the best for you and hope everything does work out it's it's something i actually bring up in a presentation i just gave this week in um again i've, I've spoken about this on my stories uh, called body superannuation but i actually talk about the baby boomers in that presentation in that you guys have had a very prosperous kind of heart because you're a very big population paying a lot of tax into a system that was then giving that back to you and helping kind of build you know the society we get to enjoy at the moment but five to ten years time that very large chunk of tax paying people are about to disappear and they're all gonna come with a handout and go, All right, I've yeah. I now want I want everything else that I want back now kind of thing. And I, I do. I'm I'm always the half class fool and I absolutely believe that we as humans are an incredibly adaptive race and that we'll figure it out. Now there are I agree with you that there are some people that are maybe making me second guess my mm. um my thoughts sometimes but i'm still very pe op optimistic on the human race that we'll figure it out some way like you know revolutions have happened because you know the mass have said you know what enough is enough and yeah. that critical mass hasn't happened yet that we're oh well things are still good so why like i know he's an idiot and they're an idiot but why would i stir the pot because i'm still earning money i'm so, like so I, I don't think there's been a tipping point where we no, we yeah. need to do something just yet and we need to kind of uprise but um but yeah, I, I'm it, I, I'm with you in that it's a bit concerning that you know there's a big large chunk of the population that's going to be leaving the working force soon, and yeah. that's my only. We, kind of... we are leaving it in droves at the moment. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I agree with you. We, we we don't we certainly haven't reached that tipping point yet, um, but it's not that far off over the horizon. Whether it's 
um, you know, climate change or whether it's social and economic change or revolution or whatever, there is tipping points approaching in various parts of the world for a few different reasons. And if they all seem to you know, conflate roughly together, then I think we're in real trouble. But yeah, I agree with you, human species have always been very, very adaptive. Um, the only concern I've got is that in previous generations and millennia, the pace of change was a lot slower, so therefore humans could adapt to the change. The pace of change these days is so fast that people are either dragged along with it or are left by the wayside. And it just, you know, things that took, you know, 20 or 30 years or a generation to change when we were growing up um, now takes you know, five years, if that in some, some ways. And it's not just all technological, it's cultural change, it's governments, it's economic change, a whole lot of other things as well. So. Can I quickly just go back to your original question about you going over <laughs> yeah. to, <laughs> to France, which <coughs> seem yeah. to have gone off the track just a tad. Um, I think one of the best things that you've been able to do, and once again you're lucky because of the job that you do, is having your daddy-daughter Wednesdays when you can. I know it doesn't always happen, but those days to me are probably more influential than your six months or eight months away in mm -hmm. France with, with Amelia. The, these, the, the things that you're laying down with her, going doing her swimming or taking her to a play or taking her to a film or taking her to, to wherever, to me, those are the types of memories that you lay down and that they she will remember more and will probably influence her more and she will remember those and the bonding that you two will have um, much, much more important, um, you know, that you, you didn't get when you were growing up with your father, but that one trip away and maybe the triathlons as well, they're two significant things that, are, that stay in your mind which we may not have even have realised they were significant to you with the ice cream and that. But the ones that you're having with Amelia now, not every day, sometimes of course she's naughty and she will remember the, 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 not, the things that she may not want to, but the, just something that she may come out with in years to come, she'll say, oh, I remember whatever, and you'll, you'll probably go, really? You didn't realise, but to her was significant more than going to France or whatever, to me, if you can keep on doing that or able to do those sort of things, down the track much more important to, to her and to you. And, and I guess what I meant by kind of the, the trip in France allowing that in that I would never in a million years if not having done that trip. Now, it didn't have to be France. It's just that Amy and I have got an affiliation with France because we've been there a number of times together. Very lucky again to be able to do that kind of travel. It could have been Queensland that we did a year trip. It could have been New Zealand, whatever it might have been. But I would never in a million years, if I hadn't taken that trip away, ever thought in my head, I need to take a day off and stay home with a meal. I would have just said, ploughed on through six days a week, 15 hour days, and just like, it's work. I've got to build, I've got to buy a house, pay a mortgage. Like, that's where my mindset would have been. And so I absolutely agree with you that, you know, 
those times that I get to spend with her on those days and I switch my phone off, I don't turn my computer on. It's not like I'm with her and then I'm just like, yeah, play over there, darling. I'm just doing some work on the computer yeah. here kind of thing. It's just, it's mine and her day. And obviously I vlog it a bit and my my, uh, oh, yeah. my audience get to see that. But mostly it's just me and her and doing whatever we get to kind of do on those days. And it, it, it is very special. And that's like why that. I think too, I, I was working full time when you kids were tiny. Um, up until you started school and I didn't believe me or both of us being full-time workers would influence you and that you would look back and say I can remember you leaving me you know all day at a crash I would have thought when you started school um, that that's when your memories would come in and so I went part-time because I thought that was more important that I could go to your school and do the reading do your sports days, your dad would take off days or an hour if mm. only there's something coming or go to a concert, anything that you were having at school, yeah. once again, trying to lay down the memories that, and take the photos. Um, so you've got albums and albums of your pictures and your sister's schooling and all the things you did because once again, I think it's important to, money's nice and I could have made a career, but it's more important, money is great, but your children, if you don't have your children, your children don't remember things and don't, you're not a family, no, no matter what money you have is not important. So that's why I went part-time as well for you. Okay. And I, I think that's a really good place to kind of end that today unless you guys have anything else that uh, you want to add, any advice for me that you want to share with the audience or anything like that or? Well, no, from my point of view, it's been a, um, yeah, it's been a great, great chat. Hope uh, people, some people listen to this and don't think there's a boring old fart at the end of the, the microphone. Forward, fast forward. Yeah, fast forward or delete, delete or whatever and never talk to Adam again. Don't do that to him um, as well. But yeah, I think it's been a, it's been a good chat. Um, catch up as well. It's, uh, yeah. Insight it's, into something. Yeah, some, some insight. And Did you learn anything? Like, was there anything that I brought up that was like, oh, no, I didn't think that. Re or re like... Reinforcement more than anything else that, um, that we, we did the right thing. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we were successful. We'll I think see. we're very successful. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I can say that to you guys to the bottom of my heart that, you know, and I've said this before in a blubbery mess at my uh, wedding that you, know, <laughs> you guys were the absolute cornerstone of who I am today. And I think, you know, I think I can be um, brash enough to say that there's many people that are now benefiting from who I am um, around the world um, because of what I do. And that is purely because of you. And I, I show empathy, I show kindness and I, my greatest gift I can give to my daughter is showing her how to be kind and I certainly got that from you guys. And, um, and you've got to be a team. You've got to work as a team um, for, for, the, for the family, for your, for your kids and for a marriage because if you yep. don't work together, it won't, it won't survive. Um, you can't be against each other. You've got to always be together and have each other's back and then you can survive anything. Absolutely. Now, I always ask a quick fire five to guests. So it's five questions, just kind of the, the first thing that kind of comes to your mind. So we'll finish off this podcast today with the quick fire five to you guys. And so I'll just always go, Dad, Mum, we'll just go that way so you know what's coming. If you're okay with that, yes. Yeah, well, you've got no rule out. You've got, you can't say no, so it doesn't matter. So, <laughs> Excuse me. All right, here we go. Quick fire five. Let's finish it up today. Um, beach or snow? Beach. Beach. I knew that very quickly. Uh, future or past? Future. Past. 
elaborate just very quickly? Oh, I'm, I'm always looking to the future. I like to plan for the future. Um, I don't. The past to me is something that's happened. I can't change it. If you could go somewhere in the future, what would you like to see? It had no effect on what would happen. You just like to go and see it. Ooh, that's a that's a tough one. What would I like to see in the future? A blue planet. The Earth, oh, Earth still oh, as oh, a blue okay. planet. Climate change. How far under? <laughs> how far do you reckon? We... <laughs> I reckon I'd, if I could go out a hundred years time and could still see a blue planet, I would be happy. Why go back to the past? What would you want to go and see? Uh, I just really enjoyed my university. Yes. So you go back to uni? Yeah, right. really good time. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll yeah. elaborate on that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't have to worry about the nutritional value. It gives you everything you need. You don't have to worry about calories. If you could have one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Coffee. Ooh, hot chips. Hot chips, there <laughs> um, Family, friend, famous, dead or alive, who would you like to have dinner with tonight? Can't be your partner. Uh, one person. One person you'd have dinner tonight. Oh, Albert Einstein. Billy Connolly. Interesting. <laughs> Very. Um, everyone would always go and spend time with their family in the last week if they were told next week you're dead, you're done, you're done. You've done that. You've now got one week left to yourself. And you know next Saturday you're dead, you're done, nothing left in this world, you're going to float up to heaven or whatever happens after that. What do you do for your final week on earth? Make a few phone calls to people I hadn't spoken to for maybe a f- couple of months. That's already been done. Like, as I said, oh, talk okay, to people. Right. You see, uh, you okay. now, what would you do for your last week? Oh, that, that's a tough question. I could, could be flippant and say there's a, quite a few bottles of single malt scotch that I know you're not going to drink that I'm, I wouldn't mind getting rid of before I pegged out. That's a little bit flippant, but maybe that's the only thing I can think of at the moment. Would you drink that somewhere? Is there somewhere on the planet where you'd like to be drinking that as your last day kind of ticks over? No, I'm comfortable where I am. Here would be perfect. Maybe go and sit on the beach. Mum? Oh, I wouldn't mind. Maybe. I've always wanted to go do the Antarctic. Maybe mm. to do a or around you've the world. Got, you've only got a week. Yeah, or <laughs> we can do around the world on one of those one way in a week and just stop at all the things I haven't done, haven't been to, that we haven't ticked off yet on our bucket list. What's, one, what's the number one bucket list then? Is well, there something that's just... I'd love to see the Northern Lights. Yep, all right. That's one of the things, and Antarctic's always been one of the things too that I'd like to do. Well, there you go, guys. We've gone for an hour, and um, these uh, chats are normally around that place, so we're about the same kind of pace. We've hit the average. Um, If you are still with us, thank you very much, and I hope you found uh, some enjoy out of that. But um, at the end of the day, I don't really care because uh, I I don't get enough to see my parents these days, and so just getting to sit down and have a chat with them has been great. And as Dad said, it's... uh, been a good enlightening chat and just uh, good to just sit down and have some time alone and I don't know if you could hear in the background but Amelia's been causing ruckus upstairs she's jumping around so I don't know if that was picked up but um, I've certainly as I said had uh, a good hour and I appreciate uh, you guys giving me that hour and having a sit down and have a chat but um, as I said guys that's been the uh, episode this week I thank you I thank the guest thank you mum and dad um, I hope Our you've pleasure. enjoyed and um, I'll see you next week on another episode of Let's Talk Fast Podcast <coughs> ciao <laughs>